You're listening to Reach MD, the channel for medical professionals. Hi, this is Dr. Ann Goldberg, president of the National Lipid Association, and I'd like to welcome you to Lipid Luminations, hosted by Dr. Larry Caskell, presented by the National Lipid Association. My guest today is Dr. James Ehrlich, who has developed advanced coronary risk assessment programs in four U.S. cities. Since June of 2007, he has been the chief medical officer of Atherotech, the Birmingham-based company that has developed the VAP lipid test. Dr. Ehrlich is a clinical associate professor in the endocrinology division at University of Colorado School of Medicine and also an adjunct assistant professor of medicine at the George Washington University School of Medicine. Dr. Ehrlich, welcome to the show. Well, thank you very much, Larry. I'd like to talk today about what you are passionate about, and that is advanced coronary risk assessment and what the basic clinician needs to know. Let's start with that. What does he need to know? Well, first of all, I think the physician needs to know that it's a very humbling experience in understanding who exactly in their practice is at risk for a devastating coronary event. If, if one were to examine the next 10 patients that you're called about in the emergency room has had an MI, I think it's a useful exercise to figure out what risk factors were really present and would they have been high risk by conventional risk factor assessment. I think by and large the data shows whether it's Framingham data and others, that the individual is not well characterized by risk factors themselves. And therefore, we do need advanced lipid testing and technology to really decide which individuals are at high risk. All right, well, would you agree with me in saying that Framingham is a partial to major failure? I would say it's a major failure for the individual it works relatively well in epidemiologic, so it works well for groups. It's a coin toss. Yeah. In fact, it's published by Wilson and Blumenthal. Even up to 80 years of age, the majority of women would be considered low risk. And in fact, uh, as published in, in Jack, in a group of women under 65 who had an MI, 82% of them would not have been eligible for any pharmacotherapy in the weeks prior to their catastrophic event. So, and none of them would have been considered CHD risk equivalent. So wow. I think Framingham mischaracterizes younger men and just about all women. Where do you fall on family history being an important risk factor? I think it's very important. It's just that, obviously, you don't get a point for, from Framingham. And studies have shown that if you take a group of people with a family history, a large percentage of them will have high carny calcium scores, have high remnant lipoprotein levels. LP little a will be about 22%. There'll be a lot of things that would not have been discoverable by simple conventional analysis. So family history is a very important risk factor, and that's why we need uh, technology and emerging biomarkers to figure out which individuals. You brought up LP little a, and I'm not sure that everybody listening knows what LP little a is, so if you could elaborate a little bit. Well, lipoprotein little a is a particularly atherogenic and thrombogenic particle that is homologous to plasminogen, it's mostly inherited, and it has been shown to be a particularly a risk factor in Caucasians, at least for cardiovascular disease, somewhat for stroke in African Americans. And its discovery prompts most of us to lower LDL further, perhaps another 30%. And so it's very often seen in studies with people have unexpected subclinical atherosclerosis, or a history of premature coronary disease. Why is it? I mean, it's well known. It's been known for years, yet no insurance company wants to pay for an LP little a. Well, this is a whole 
issue. In general, insurance companies pay for things if you have a diagnosis. And so you have to be a graduate of a failed prevention program. In other words, be a survivor of your MI. If you if you drop dead in the golf course, you do not qualify for things. They'll pay for it if you drop dead. Right, right. Otherwise, they don't want to. Or if you're a survivor, you have an MI. The, the, the sad reality is about 33% of people don't survive their very first manifestation of heart disease. And for 62% of Americans, the first manifestation of heart disease is irreversible, either sudden death or an MI. All right. So continuing with LP little a, this is a test you can get pretty much four places. You can get it from LabCorp. You can get it from Atherotech. You can get it from Berkeley. You can get it from NMR. And yet they all use a different type of test. Right. So who has the right one? Why can't you guys all get together and come up with a single test? Well, I don't know about the cooperative nature of these companies. I can tell you that the basic two distinctions in measuring LP little a is measuring LP little a by what's called the mass number or measuring it by the cholesterol content. Uh, Atratech, my employer, uses the cholesterol content because that takes away any concern about the number of Kringles the individual has. So when you do it by the mass measurement, that'll be affected by Kringle number, and we don't think that that should be part of the distinction. So you know, that would be a simplistic way of looking at this laboratory measurement. But we subscribe to the technique, basically, that Markovina and others use, which we think is very valid. And then what's confusing for the clinician is that everybody has their own cut points. We use a cut point of 10 because that's the top quartile, and the top quartile has an odds ratio of events that's distinct from the other quartiles. So we use a number of 10, but it is very confusing for the clinician. If if you found somebody with a high LPA and you did a, a VAP, a Berkeley, an NMR, and a LabCorp, might you find a normal LPA in one of those? I hope not, and I think very infrequently you will. I think the tests are all relatively valid. It's just that the numbers themselves and the results can't exactly be correlated. But I think that in general, a top quartile on one test will be a top quartile in all the tests. If you've just joined us, you're listening to Lipid Luminations on ReachMD, XM157. I'm your host, Dr. Larry Kaskill. My guest today, Dr. James Ehrlich, who is the chief medical officer of Atherotech, and we're talking about advanced lipid testing. James, continuing with the LPA, the nice thing about it is you order it once. If it's normal, you don't have to worry about it again. That's exactly true, and yet that's confusing for people. A lot of doctors feel that they have to lower the LP little a. We'd rather have them regard LP little a as a marker for a problem and that you address the LDL. In fact, if you get the LDL below about 80, you've eliminated the atherogenic potential of LP little a. Some people will add niacin or niacin to lower it, but in general, you don't need to actually lower the LP little a. In fact, Lipitor often will raise the LP little a. Mm -hmm. So you just want to be much more aggressive with LDL lowering when you see LP little a. So even if someone's got an LDL of 110 and otherwise no other risk factors, would you say if they've got a high LPA, you need to lower their LDL? I, I would, yes. I'd be more aggressive. And so to understand it clearly, once you lower LDL to a pretty low level, you're, you're kind of losing the predictive power of the LPA. That's right. Okay. Let's move on to who really needs a, an advanced lipid test. You work for Atherotech, so you might be a little biased in saying everybody needs one. 
But who really does need one? Everybody. You know, it depends. If one includes direct measurement of LDL as mm-hmm. part of advanced lipid testing, then that brings in a huge group of people that we believe should have it because the Friedewald equation developed in 1972 vastly underestimates LDL in various circumstances, some of which we didn't appreciate in our medical school training. We learned that when the triglycerides were over 400, you can't use Friedewald. The answer is really over 200. The bias, the negative bias of the calculated equation is really substantial. And then what is underappreciated is any time you try to get the LDL below 100, which would be in all CHD patients or all CHD equivalents, then the Friedewald should not be used. So if you include that with the advanced comprehensive testing, I believe that you can make a case for advanced testing in anyone with coronary heart disease or its equivalent, like peripheral vascular disease, not only because of Friedewald inadequacies, but also to look for novel causes like LP little a. Anyone with a family or personal history of premature coronary disease to look for these emerging risk factors like LP little a. Anyone with subclinical, moderate, or severe atherosclerosis, as measured by coronary imaging, coronary calcium imaging, or carotid IMT, you'd want an explanation, and also you want to get their LDL down lower. Anyone with a triglyceride greater than 200, anyone with diabetes or a metabolic syndrome, as the standard test really mischaracterizes the profile as looking fairly benign. And then finally, a category that's becoming of emerging interest is is individuals with a high HDL in which you were about to tell them that you're fine. Some of them, if you did an APOA1, you could distinguish those who have a functional HDL and those who probably have dysfunctional HDL. So we need to look at residual risk factors, and we think that advanced testing is is the way to go in in a clinical setting. I would reserve the the regular cholesterol test for health fairs and for low-risk individuals. Well, you mentioned carotid IMT, and we talk about that a lot on this show, and I ask every guest what they consider a abnormal IMT score, and I get I get wide-ranging answers from anything above 0.5 millimeters is considered atherosclerosis or you need to have 1.0 millimeters or 1.5 millimeters. Do you, James Ehrlich, have an opinion? Well, I am much more impressed generally from my experience with coronary calcium imaging as a much stronger predictor of events and the absence of coronary calcium as having a very high negative prediction for events than carotid IMT, which I think suffers from methodologic problems, technical inadequacies as far as inter-test variability, and I don't think it can be used in the individual to track progression. Having said that, I think it's a wonderful technique for younger people who would be too young for coronary calcium imaging, and my feeling is that it, A, identifies patients with atherosclerosis. So the answer is not an absolute number, it's how you compare to the other campers in the group, your age and sex and ethnicity. We use databases, and if you're in the top quartile for your age group, we're concerned. So sometimes that'll be 1.06. You know, a score of 1.06 is equivalent to a 20% 10-year risk, and so that's a number that I use as being somebody I want to get LDLs down very low. The problem we're finding is that there's a lot of people, particularly women, who have very high coronary calcium scores and have a benign-looking 
carotid. I recently did a show speaking with Dr. P.K. Shaw from UCLA, and they're working on an algorithm that they'll start with a carotid IMT, and if it is normal, they will get an EBCT. And if that's normal, then they'll rest assured. But a lot of times they will see a normal carotid, and they'll see calcifications in the coronary beds. Yes. In fact, I often use the carotids when people come back after they've had an abnormal carny calcium score, or they've had a normal carny calcium score, and they come back next year and say, should I get a repeat? I say, you know, I'd like to look at another vascular. Yeah, bed. exactly. And so that's that's another value of, of both of these. Right. He, like, he likes to look at two beds before he's convinced. Right. Well, we are out of time, and I, I'd like to thank Dr. James Ehrlich for joining us today. It was my pleasure. Thank you for listening to Lipid Illuminations, presented by the National Lipid Association. For more information, please visit www.lipid.org. Reach MD, the channel for medical professionals.